thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. If you don't want to miss our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. You can find a link for this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. How's everyone doing? I am Mike. I'm an alcoholic and junkie. Uh, It's been a long time since I've been at a podium. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. You know, I'm, I, I grew up probably upper middle class, uh, Rhode Island, that's where I'm from. Uh, pretty normal childhood. I mean, you know, we were Irish, so there was a whole lot of drinking, uh, but it was accepted. I remember getting little glasses, they had little special glasses for us kids of wine for the holidays. And my grandma used to give us hot toddies when you got a cold. Sort of whiskey, lemon, and honey. And uh, that was all, that was just the way it was. Uh, but as, as I got older, uh, in high school, I, I started to feel like I didn't fit in with the regular people, you know. I was on the football team and stuff. Most of the team hated me because I went to a very preppy school and I was like a real long-haired, work boot jean, flannel shirt hippie concert t-shirts and it did not fit in with the school Uh, I I just never felt part of anything Uh, I started smoking weed and drinking well I was drinking from the time of 14 because I I could we owned a restaurant it was perfectly acceptable dad you know we're having a party get a case of beer and and, uh, that's how it all started Uh, it didn't take me long to get out of control by the time I was 17, 18 years old, I was smoking weed all the time, LSD, uh, tripping on mushrooms. I mean, just it just went on and on and on. Uh, it was the late 70s, you know. That's what we did back then. And uh, Got drunk at a keg party, me and my friend, and I uh, hitchhiked to Florida. I ended up living there eight years. Uh, I, got, I started getting in trouble with the law in 1980. 1982, uh, caught my first little bid two years down in Florida, and uh, I was 20, 21 or something. And in the state of Florida, for them to class, I was going to the penitentiary. This was a county jail, like up here at Burks. I was going to the pen, and uh, I was friggin' terrified because they send you to Rayford, which is where the electric chair is. My first roommate had two life sentences. You know, I, I was doing like 18 months. <laughs> it, was, it was it was pretty scary. Uh, so I, I was there for about a year and a half, and uh, I got out. I came, I, I went back to Rhode Island, and all this time, I never thought I had a problem with the drugs or drinking. I just figured I had a, a stroke of bad luck. And uh, the family I grew up in, uh, I have some uncles that are pretty notorious. 
My father was very straight, hard working, worked his ass off, and uh, but my uncles were real shady. They were like full-time criminals, and I looked up to them because they had the money, they had the women, they had the cars, and they didn't go to work, uh, and I knew that. Uh, so that's that's what I, I figured. My old man's killing himself, and these guys are driving around in new caddies and not doing anything, and they got lots of money on them. And, uh, so that's why I started to lean, and uh, it got real quick. I started doing a lot of scores through family members and... Uh, and then I was introduced to heroin. I know this is AA, but it's part of my story. I mean, at that point, I would have shot a ham sandwich if it would have made me feel different. You know, it was all about the feelings. It was about feeling like shit, not fitting in, feeling less than. But I was covering it up with all the flash and shit on the outside, you know. The bikes and the cars and the girls and all that stuff. I was trying to make myself feel better. And uh, it progressively got really bad really fast. Uh, in 1987, uh, I caught a 20-year bid, and uh, I was off. And I and I still didn't have a problem with it. I figured that's the price of doing what I was doing. I deserved a whole lot more than that. And uh, I did 12-7 on that, and uh, I got out. I was getting out. I went to parole, and I had two years left. I would have to finish parole, and they wanted to give me parole, and I refused it because there's no shot at me making parole. I couldn't last five minutes on parole. And uh, so I refused it. And what about, I had made it to minimum security by this time, and uh, I was going about my business, and I got called down to the parole. This is about four months later. They gave me parole, and I didn't want it. But it was to a treatment facility. And uh, oh, I thought about, you know what, that, that ain't a bad idea. It's a six-month program. I can play that game for six months. I had no intentions of getting sober or clean. I just thought I had bucked. I couldn't connect my behavior to my drug and alcohol. I just thought it was separate. Yeah, I knew I was a scumbag criminal. That was just what I was. You know, the drinking and the drugging were completely separate. And uh, I didn't see the relation. And uh, I got to this uh, program, and it was run by an ex-cop that got caught stealing coke. That was like 30 years sober at the time. And uh, it was brutal. Now, where I got sober, I got sober up in the Cape, it's a lot different than around here. They're like really in your face. There's no lovey, hug you better. Uh, every morning, this guy, I come downstairs to get coffee and he'd be down there waiting. Fucking O'Brien, when are you gonna pick up so I can throw you out? Every morning, that, that's how he was. But he knew that worked on me because now I look at it as a challenge. I'm thinking, F you, I'm staying sober. And uh, long story short, they had to ask me to leave after 17 months. I was there for, that's how long, I, they couldn't get rid of me. I didn't want to leave, you know? I had a job, I had no warrants. I hadn't been arrested in the 17 months I was there. That was the first since I was like 18 years old. And, uh, and I hit that program at 40. Uh, it was just, I, I'm all over the place, so just bear with me. While I, was, while I was there, it was called the Galilee Mission. It's in Narragansett, Rhode Island, it's still there. Uh, I think it softened up a little bit, but it's still there. Coming up, I never had a bank account, checking account, never had any of that uh, up until I was 40 years old. Uh, well, I certainly wasn't going to hang on to any money long enough to bother putting it in the bank, you know. And uh, 
So in this mission, because I'm trying to get sober and I'm starting to become a little bit more human and starting doing things the way I was doing, I got a, I got a uh, bank account, little debit card. I was like a little kid. I was so proud. I go, now I was on a bike because I wasn't allowed to have a license yet. I rode my bike everywhere. And uh, I got that little debit card. Came back, I showed it, showed it around the house. You know, I thought I was like king shit. And a little, first time. And uh, I was working, I was working at a fish plant, hated the job, uh, scaling fish. So when you get done, you're covered in scales. Uh, it was nasty, but it was a job. And uh, about three, maybe three months after I got the account, uh, I get a call from the manager at Citizens Bank. Uh, Mr. O'Brien, can you come down and see me, you know, at a certain time? And uh, I'm all proud of myself. It's something great I've done, being a typical alcoholic and addict. You know, uh, I'm sure I'm going to get congratulated for something. And uh, I ride my bike down there, and uh, she got a check for me. She's closing my account. Because you can't have an account. You know, here's your check for a couple hundred bucks. I mean, it was nothing big. And I was devastated. But the reason they closed my account is because I went to prison for bank robbery and Citizens was a bank that I had robbed. <laughs> That's God's honest truth. And they remembered, I guess, they caught up with it. It wasn't that bank, but it was another branch. And uh, so that was a resentment. That was my first big resentment. Uh, what, what I want to really focus on, I mean, there's all kinds of silly shit. We all know that we're addicts and alcoholics. It's, because I think a lot of guys here from a program, come on, don't be shy, I can see you already. All right, it, you know, it's, it's tough. It's a bitch being in there. Get out of detox, you know, you need certain sneakers. You're already thinking about, I need an apartment or I gotta get somewhere to live. I gotta get my license, I gotta get my car. I need a, I, I need a girlfriend. And, and that's, all, that's all fine and dandy, but just think, your best thinking, your best plan you've ever had has got you right where you're at. Think about it. Your best idea has got you in rehab. And you're fortunate, you're lucky. You know, it's a blessing to get there. Like they say, what many are called, few are chosen. Uh, but this, my sponsor used to, I, I even say stuff like that, and uh, he, he was pretty cold. And uh, he'd say, listen, Stop thinking. You've never had a good idea. And it took me a long time to realize he was friggin' right. I never had a good idea. My best thinking got me in the can. Got me to a rehab, you know. And uh, so for a couple of years, I didn't do anything without running it by him. Well, I had like four sponsors. Sponsor and then a bunch of co-sponsors. Uh, they were on me. Uh, I didn't even buy that bike without permission. Because I wasn't sure if it was a good idea or not. So what it comes down, for me, the, hard, the hardest part for me was step one. Now, I, was, I, I knew I was a junkie and an alcoholic. That wasn't the problem. It was really admitting that that was a problem. I don't know if that makes any sense. The first step was the hardest one for me to get honest with. You know, I lied to myself better than anybody. That was the hardest thing for me to do in this whole program was to get honest with myself about how I felt. You know, studying the steps, I was terrified. You always hear horror stories and, oh, it's this and it's that. And the, the, the scariest part of it for me was I didn't know who I was going to be when I didn't have a drug or a drink. 
because I've never experienced that. Like, am I going to be an asshole? Am I even going to like myself? I, I had no, no clue of what I was without something in my system. Uh, I mean, even in the joint, I was shooting dope. And they were making hooch and buying pills. This stuff was rampant. You know, and uh, so I, I certainly didn't stop then. I didn't have any clean time uh, other than when I got to this program. It's, it's just, you know, it, it's a battle, and uh, it, it is hard as hell. It's the hardest thing you will ever do is to put that shit down and stay away from it. Uh, it took me, I, well, at four and a half years sober, I had sort of done the, the steps. I did them the best I could, which was half-ass. But I knew all the right lingo. I went on tons of commitment meetings. I traveled with a group of guys. We went all over the place. And I, and I really meant well, but I wasn't being completely honest. It was those dark, deep, deep little secrets that I was keeping. I wasn't getting rid of all this shit. I wasn't cleaning house. I was maybe like sweeping off the porch. That's about as far as I got with it. And because I was, I was afraid. I was afraid of what I would think of myself. I was afraid of what the older guys that were helping me would think of me if they find out what I was really like. I used to think that going to the A meetings. I was fresh out of the joint, terrified. I was terrified. And uh, I, was, I was a pretty big dude when I got out because I had nothing but time. And uh, all the little old ladies who used to come up to me and hug you, you know, it's all the huggy and the, the hand holding. And, like, what the hell is that? These people can't be for real. And uh, nobody's that happy all the time. And uh, I really believed that. And these, these, these older ladies, because I guess they could see it on me, uh, sitting in the corner, terrified, trying to figure out what's going on. And they would come up to me day in and day out and tell me they would love me until I was capable of loving myself. They could see the self-loathing. I friggin' hated myself. I hated what I did to my family. I hated what I did to other people. Uh, I was not a nice person using. Uh, there was no friggin' rules. If I needed a drink or a fix, I, I'm taking whatever I got to take to get it. And, uh, and then there's a lot of guilt and shame and remorse around that. Uh, what we do to our families, the ones that care about us the most, we probably hurt them more than anybody else. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a battle. And if you're new in a program or something, man, latch on. It's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to see the end game. When you're new, because your brain's race, your, your brain's racing. Uh, you're trying to get a plan. You're trying to rush through stuff. Oh, I can't wait to do this. I wait to do that. Or you just think you're playing the game to get through parole or probation. Uh, I, I was on probation or parole from 1977 until 2002, consistently, never off it. And I got my probation officer, she happened to be in the program, to write me a letter of completion. And I had it framed for years because it was so ridiculous, I finally completed my probation or parole. Because, you know, every time you violate it, they just re-roll it over on you. Go to the candy, do some time, you get back out, it starts over again. It's a vicious cycle. And uh, so I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, it's just silly stuff. You know, what... what once I got sober, stuff that's happened in my life now, like I said, at four and a half years sober, sunny day, 
I'm on a new Harley, everything's going great. I'm married, got a nice house, a great business going. Because I took that street hustle and I applied it into a business. And uh, we're way smarter than the average people out there. Just what you got to go through to keep drinking and drugging. Uh, just one sunny day, I saw somebody walking down the road I knew I shouldn't have stopped to talk to. I did. I was throwing a bag of dope 10 minutes later. You know, it's, it, just, it just didn't happen that fast. But I hadn't done the real work. I was sort of like skimming over the top of this stuff. It looked good. I knew all the right things. How it works, I could recite from memory. Never had to look at the page. That's how, that's a, that made me think I was doing the right shit. And I wasn't. That doesn't mean anything. It's not going to keep me sober. Uh, it's, you know, uh, by the grace of God and these halls and you people in them, you know, I'm... I'm over 15 years now, clean and sober. And it's nothing I did. Nothing. I, I did not know how to live and be clean and sober and have a license and have a car and pay insurance. And it's my car, not somebody's I stole. A house. I got a family. I got kids. It's, it's friggin' crazy. It's retarded. And I, I'm sorry, that's probably not a good word nowadays. But I'm old. It's, it's ridiculous that I have a normal life. People that don't know my, you know my background, that I'm in AA and NA, recovered and all that stuff, they would never think that's who I was. But that's who I am. And I'm not ashamed of it. I mean, I, I put it right, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. It's none of my business. I do not care what the next person thinks. I know what I've gotten from this program. And it, I mean, <laughs> I hate all these sayings, live and let live, keep it simple. I don't see them in here. Keep it simple. All those, I hate those sayings. I hated them. But they're all actually true. Uh, I come to find out. It's gifts that... I can't even explain how life-altering. I've sort of said, I was a truck driver for a lot of years lately. I've had back surgery. That's the whole cane thing and everything right now. But I would be driving, and I drove pretty much east coast. I'd be giggling driving down the highway. It was so stupid that I was normal. I mean, for 40 years, I was not normal. I stole, I, you know, held up places. I, I robbed, shot dope, coke. I shot Jack Daniels trying to come off the other. I mean, it's just... It was insane. I lived in an abandoned building with an extension cord running over to a warehouse stealing electricity. I lived there for two years, and I thought I had it made. You know, I'm, I'm an old fat guy. I was like 160 pounds soaking wet, all shaving in the mirror, thinking how great I look, fixing my hair, and, you know, and I look like death. I can still remember that stuff. It's just, I'm so grateful for what I've gotten. And it's not, don't think it's anything I've done. I have not done anything I feel to earn any of this. I did what people out there told me I needed to do. And not my version of it, which is what I did the first time. We all know how well that worked out. Exactly what they told me to do. Get a sponsor. And don't get some soft sponsor. Get somebody that'll kick you in the ass. You know, you were never going to hug me better or love me sober. It would have never worked. I needed someone that was a complete jerk. I was told six months on, 
shut up, sit down, take the cotton in your ears, stick it in your mouth. You got nothing good to say. They wouldn't let me share for six months. Now, when you're in the car going to the meeting, going home, then you can talk and share and talk about the speakers. But at a meeting, they didn't want to hear from me because you got nothing to offer. And they were right. I didn't have, I mean, I could have babbled on to make myself feel good and pontificate on what, you know, whatever might be going on, but I had nothing of value. Even now, sometimes I don't have anything of value. You know, I really don't. Just ask my family. You know? uh, but in the midst of that, because I, I want to throw her under the bus, I was like two years sober, and I was sitting next to a, a, a girl at a meeting, and the stupid styrofoam cup slipped out of my hand. I don't even know how it happened. It had to be an act of God. And when it hit the ground, it covered her. All her college paperwork, her books, all in coffee. So then she 13-stepped me. Because she was like five years sober at the time. I was about five minutes sober. <laughs> and uh, 20 years. 20 years of being together. Freaking amazing. It's the longest lasting anything I've ever done. It's even outrun my prison sentence. You know, it's crazy. So, and it's what these halls are giving me. It's what's here for you guys to grab onto. You know, it really, I, I, I wish it was like some kind of dust or something I could throw on you. Life gets so easy if you just get out of your own way and let shit happen. Just do what you're told. It all, I swear to God, I'd bet my life on it. Everything will work out exactly how it needs to work out for you if you just stop worrying about it, trying to make it happen. Because God's, you know, and I always say God because I don't know what else to call my higher power. I'm not religious. I, I, this is just my higher power. He's got a really twisted sense of humor. And the harder you try to force something, the less shot you have of getting it. I guarantee it. It never works. I've tried it a thousand times. You know, it's only been over the last few years that I've actually realized that just, just stop. That shit happens. It's just, it's amazing. Uh, I just wish there was more I could, I, I could share with you. No, but you, you can't give up on yourself. It's, it's well worth the fight, but you got to suit up. It'll be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. It's easy to quit and walk away and go get higher, go drink. That's, anybody can do that. You know? I don't know. I'm pretty much done. I'm going to stop babbling. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. You can also find a link for this in the description below. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.